All right, you guys can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to be finishing off the first chapter within our series of the book of Ephesians. So we're looking at verse 15 through 23. If you are taking notes today, which we encourage you to do so, you can note down that the message title is That You May Know. That You May Know. Um, if you do not know where the book of Ephesians is, remember you can always look to your table of contents in the front of your Bible. It's uh, handy dandy and very helpful. Uh, but Ephesians is in the New Testament. Uh, there is a group of books together. Uh, it is uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Uh, does anyone know uh, our junior high acronym to remember those four books of the Bible? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Anyone remember? Has to do with popcorn. See, some of you guys don't even know. You remember? There you go. Go eat popcorn. Okay, so Galatians, that's go. Ephesians, that's eat. Philippians, that's pop. And Colossians, that's corn. Okay, that's how you can remember all those four books are together and they're all related. They are known as the prison epistles. Paul wrote these when he was in prison. And so we're at the second one. We're on, we're on uh, eat, all right? So who, who likes popcorn? Raise your hand. No. <laughs> Lyric does not. Lyric, you were eating popcorn on Wednesday. I know you like popcorn. Um, anyway, we are in the book of Ephesians chapter one. Let me ask you guys, have you ever had a, a person either in past history or present, someone well-known or famous that you did like a study on? like a project, a research paper, raise your hand. If you've ever done like a biography study on a person, uh, who, 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 uh, who have you done some research on? Ben? Um, Abraham, Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. That was the same as uh, last. Raise your hand if you've ever done research on Abraham Lincoln. Like you were like, you know, you know everything about him. You know what date he was born, log cabin, all that good stuff. All right, who else? Uh, yes. Yeah, Leila. Princess Diana, okay, uh, yep, that's a, that's, a, that's a study in itself. What about you, dude? Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth, okay, you did like a whole, whole research on him, okay, for sure. What about you, dude? Yeah, what was it? Okay, don't know who that is, but that's, that's cool, yep. Anne Frank, okay, that's a good one. What about ladies, Elizabeth? Christopher Columbus, okay. So you guys, you guys are familiar with doing like a research on, on someone, right? Now, what if, so like when I was younger, I think it was like fourth grade, uh, I had to do, I had to pick someone, right, throughout history. It's a common thing that you got to do in school. And it was Jackie Robinson. I picked, that was, that was the person back then. Uh, I read books about him. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Dodger fan, so, and you know, he changed. Yeah, so it's good. Oh, okay. Hey, where, where's Tate at? Tate's an Angels fan, so it looks like we got some Dodger fans in here. It's good. Anyway, sh- sh- listen, okay, man. This is a great youth group. I love being with you guys. But listen, so Jackie Robinson, like I did all this study on him. But imagine, imagine if I, if I told you, we were in a conversation, and you're like, yeah. And I told you, I was like, I actually know Jackie Robinson. And, and you're like, dude, he wasn't, you weren't even like alive before he did, right? You'd be like, you don't know him. Why? Because I know about him. I, I, could, I could give you facts about him. I could, I, I mean, not any, I kind of forgot a lot of it. Um, but when I was in fourth grade, I could tell you a whole bunch of stuff. Um, but I didn't know him, right? And there's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing a person. In fact, it would even be better than just being able to do research on someone and know facts about their life 
it would be very cool to say meet someone that knew Jackie Robinson when he was alive, right? Maybe a, maybe a, a grandchild or I know he still has living children. And they might not know, even, I could even know more facts about his life, but who would you rather meet? Me who, know, who knows facts about his life or a, a grandchild of his who got to know him when he was alive? It, it, would, be this, it would be the second. Why? Because they knew him. And, and, and we all understand this, that it is better to know someone than to simply know about them. And there is a significant, significant difference. Now, I would think all of you know exactly where I'm going with this concept. Because as Christians, we are not just people who know a lot about God. We are to be people who know God. Now, those two things intermix quite often, right? God uses knowledge in his word for us to know him more. But listen, knowledge, according to the Christian, is not the goal. It is the vehicle that gets us to the goal. The goal is to have an intimate, real, deep, experiential, personal relationship with God. And this is where I think uh, a lot of people have a, a, a wrong idea of what it means to follow Jesus, to know him. It's not just to know about him. It's not just to know the answers. It is to translate into a relationship. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, builds up. It's not that knowledge is bad, but if our goal is simply to know things about God, we're going to miss it all together. And so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we are coming to the end of this first chapter together, having read through Paul's poem on salvation. That was our last couple studies. Now we're moving on to Paul's prayer that the Ephesians would know God more. So why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read through verses 15 through 23. So all of you should be standing with your Bibles open, and then you'll follow along with me as I read the word to you. All right, the Bible says this, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, uh, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. And finally, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 
your word. We ask today that as we come to it, that we would not come to it just because that's what we do on Sunday mornings, but that you would help us to have attentive minds and open hearts, listening ears, ready to receive all that you would speak to us today. Lord, I pray for these students here and anyone else who might be in this room. Lord, those that maybe know a lot about you, I pray that that knowledge would begin to transfer in to a fuller knowledge, a closeness, a relationship. And so God, we don't want to just know things about you. We want to be acquainted. We want to be close with you. And so God, we pray that you would do this in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, if you look to the scriptures of what we just read, what I first want you to point your attention to uh, is verses 15 and 16. We see this, uh, the fact in these couple verses, we see a hearing that leads to praying. And so if you have your Bibles open, check out verse 15 with me. And we're told there that Paul hears something about the people he is writing to. He's writing to the Ephesians, and we're told that he hears of, number one, their faith in the Lord, and number two, their love for the saints or God's people. And so, you know, back then, they didn't have the type of communication we have now. They didn't have news outlets. They didn't have social media. They didn't have emails. They didn't have TV. So how did Paul hear about their faith and love? Well, no doubt, it was through word of mouth that uh, they are in two different locations at this time. Uh, Ephesus and is in what is modern-day Turkey, as we've talked about. Paul is in Rome. Uh, they're not very close to each other, uh, at least close enough to, to uh, be able to uh, get this news in a, in a quick manner. And so it seems like the reputation of the Ephesian people was preceding them. It was going before them. Word was getting out that these people at Ephesus, trusted God, and they loved his people. And so somehow, through word of mouth, Paul in Rome, who's on house arrest at this time, he's under Roman guard, he hears about it, and what does verse 16 tell us? Verse 16 tells us that he does not cease to give thanks for you. He hears about them, and he, and he looks to God, and he says, thank you for what you are doing at the church of Ephesus. Now, Why did Paul care? Well, this was a church that he invested time into. We were told from scripture that he spent three years with the Ephesians talking to them and teaching them and telling them about Jesus. And now, though he's away from them, they are growing in their walks with God. So much so it's affecting the culture and environment around them. And so he says, he looks up and he says, thank you, God. And what else does he do? Look at verse 16. He says, making mention of you in my prayers. And so now he's not only thanking God for them, but because of what he heard about them, that is the basis for now praying to God for them. Now, it's a, I don't think it's the, the main part of this passage or the main point of today, but I think it's important that we pause here for a moment. 
We're about to look at the content of those prayers that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. That's basically what this whole study is about. We're looking at Paul's prayer. But I want to first look at the basis or the foundation of why he prayed. I think in our current Christian culture, we have a wrong perspective sometimes when it comes to prayer, myself included. Sometimes when we have prayer requests or we pray for someone, we often focus on the immediate physical needs of the here and now. Now, while that is a good thing to pray for, right? Uncle Joe is sick. Uh, Aunt Betty's leg is hurt. I don't know why Uncle and Aunt, but you guys, my, 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 my dog ran away. Pray that we find him. Uh, oh, my, my dad just lost his job. He's needing a new one. Physical things. We should pray for those. And the Bible says we should. I am sure that most of you have parents that have taught you when, 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 when you need something, you go to God. And that's a very biblical concept. But sometimes I think we reserve prayer for only that. But you see, prayer is much bigger than that. It's much more expansive. And Paul here isn't praying for anything negative. What actually spurs Paul to pray is good news. He hears about how well they're doing, and he says, let me pray for you. It's kind of interesting, right? Uh, sometimes I don't think we think about it like that, but I think we should. Not that we stop praying for physical needs, but Paul's focus in this prayer is not for the physical well-being of the people, but their spiritual well-being. And it's not a negative thing. It's not that they're doing bad in their walks with God. It's like they're doing good, and Paul wants them to do better. And I think this is something that we must take note of here and something that we should put into practice. Maybe you had a friend that just got baptized uh, at the church baptism in June, or, or maybe you'll have a friend who will get baptized uh, at the September baptism. This is just an example. And maybe they tell you that, hey, you got baptized. We should be like, all right, praise God. Thank you, Lord, for doing this work. And then we should pray for them. We should make mention of them in our prayers. You're like, but nothing's bad happening. Yeah, that's okay. We could talk to God anytime. And we shouldn't, it shouldn't just be for bad stuff, but good stuff. What do we pray? Well, I think what we're about to get into is the type of direction we should pray for. What we're going to find out is that essentially what, what Paul prays for these people is that, he would, that they would know God more. Did they know God before? Absolutely. Right? They had faith in Jesus, so they know him. But his prayer is going to be that they know him more. And so a, a prayer that you could pray for someone who maybe just got baptized or started serving in a ministry here at church and took this step of faith and they're like, I don't know, they put me with the five-year-olds, they're crazy and they hit me and they always want goldfish, but, but I'm there because I want to serve God. It, it should, you should pray for them. Say, God, would you continue to use, thank you for putting in them this step of faith. God, would you do a great work in their life and in their heart? God, would you use them? Would they, would they have a bigger view of who you are as they serve you? Does that make, do you see the, the difference there? I think we as believers should have a shift in our perspective because prayer is much more than just praying for physical needs. And so Paul here begins to pray uh, for them uh, in verses 17 through 23. And this is the bulk of our passage, right? We just looked at that kind of quick intro in verse 15 and 16. But the bulk of what we read a moment ago is 
Paul's recorded prayer. It's basically that Paul let the Ephesians in to his prayer life. He said, hey, I'm praying for you, and this is what I'm praying for. I think that's a good practice too. If we ever do pray for someone, or have you ever told someone, hey, we're praying for you? Maybe you should let them in on praying for them. Maybe you could do that by praying for them in person, uh, or, or you can do that by, by letting them know, hey, these are the things I'm praying for. And maybe it has a little bit to do with their requests, but maybe it's much more than that. And in verses 17 through 23, it's like Paul wanted them to know, hey, these are the details of what I am praying for you for. And I think there's much for us to learn here. And so look there in verse 17. Verse 17, uh, he begins to pray. Notice at the end of verse 16, a colon. Hey, look in your Bibles. Look in. Look at verse 16. Look at the very end. Do you see the colon? Do you guys know what a colon is? So it's two little dots, right? And uh, I should have looked up. I, I know like when to use them. I just don't know how to explain like when to use them. But what's about to come from this colon is like the, the prayer. You can almost put uh, parentheses around starting in, in, in verse 17 there with the that, that you may. That's, that's what he begins to, to pray there. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Uh, this is his prayer, okay? Is that making sense? So we see here that he's praying to God, the Father. He's praying on behalf of the Ephesians. And then we, be, become, we, we come to the request, all right, the content. The request, if you are taking notes, can be summed up into this. The request is verses 17 through 23, but if you were, we were to sum it all up, it would be that they would know God more and more. So note that down, that they would know God more and more. And I'm not talking about facts or, or just a list of things, but something more than that, to, to actually know someone. You know, what's, what's kind of interesting about what you and I believe is that a non-believer could take the Bible and begin to look through it. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is, uh, is, a, is a document that is studied in secular education. Uh, law schools, they'll study the book of Romans. Uh, even at Cal State Fullerton, where my wife went, she had a class uh, on the Bible, but it wasn't a Christian class. They, they looked at it through its literary uh, sense. They looked at how it was poetical in parts and historical in others, because this document's incredible. It's without error. And so the world just kind of looks at it. Hey, I'll just use that for my benefit of like, hey, what can we learn uh, just in, in, the, in the educational sense? And so a non-believer could take the Bible and read it from Genesis to Revelation and, and come to a conclusion. This is, if there was a God, this is what he would be like. And they might even come to more knowledge than you or I. Right, there could be a 30-year-old professor who committed his life, though an atheist, to studying the Bible for, its, for just its, its literary value. 
and he could know God is this. These are the 45 different names that are listed in Scripture about God. These are the qualities and characteristics and attributes listed in, in Hezekiah. Uh, in, uh, Hezekiah, that's not a book in the Bible. Jeez. Uh, in, in the most obscure book of the Bible. But you know who is closer to God than him? A five-year-old child who puts their faith in Jesus and chooses to follow him. Because he might know more, but he knows closer. Does that make sense? And I think what is being requested here is that idea, is that they wouldn't just know more facts, but that they would see him more clearly. Notice what he asked for. He says there in verse 17 that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay? God, Paul prays for wisdom and revelation. Now, we know that these two things are only connected uh, only given through the Holy Spirit. This is a passage that kind of demonstrates this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You can just note it down. Verses 10 and 14 says this, but God has revealed them, being the promises of God, what we have in him, to us through his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So revelation, it means to be able to uh, think about the word revealed, God is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. I've told you guys this before. You and I didn't find God, right? God found us. He came to us and he revealed himself by his Holy Spirit. We said, yep, I'm in. And we received him and the Holy Spirit came into us. And now as we grow in our walks with God, we see him in a deeper way. We begin to know him personally, and you begin to know his nature and what's he like. You know, in any kind of human relationship, uh, the more that you spend time with that person, you begin to know them. And not just things that they like or don't like, but almost like when you really get close with someone, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, you almost could anticipate what they think about something, right? Right? Where it's almost like if you're, if you're going shopping for them, you know what they would like and, and what they wouldn't like. You, you begin to anticipate desires, right? And for you and I, we only can know God in that way by the Spirit who reveals him to us. So look at verse 14. It says, but the natural man, the natural man is someone without the Spirit of God, okay? Does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He can't understand them. He, he looks at what, what we believe is dumb, so nor can he know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. And so when someone rejects the notion that God is real and the God of the Bible is the only God, and they reject that, then what the Bible says is dumb. It's foolishness. Now to you and I, who have the spirit of God, you're like, no, this, this is not dumb. This is life. This is, this is everything. This is amazing. This is how we know him. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. And so what we're talking about today is not just physical knowledge, but it is spiritual understanding. And this wisdom and revelation that he's praying for the Ephesians for, it isn't so that they would be really like successful in the world's eyes. Now that might be a result, but that's not the, the goal. 
It's not so that they could be really good on the stock market and know, oh, I have this wisdom and revelation from God, so I know that this is going to do really well. It's not to be able to run a business or, or be successful in the eyes of the world. It's to know him. Notice what it says. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, verse 17, in the knowledge. I'm going to say knowledge. knowledge. Knowledge of him. This is what this word knowledge means. There's a handful of uh, words in Greek that uh, mean different types of knowledge. Um, it could be one that just knows facts, uh, like we've talked about. This is one uh, that, is, that is used in relationship. It's to experience it's the Greek word epignosis, which you do not need to remember, but it's kind of cool. Knowledge, a real, deep, full knowledge. Not just to know. It's like this. The difference is this. You can know what's on the menu at a restaurant, but then it's another thing to order something on that menu and take a bite of it, right? There's the knowledge, and then there's the experience. This word has much more to do with the experience. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul would just simply say, his goal is that I may know him. It's the same word, epignosis, knowledge. Now, this is very contrary to the world that we live in, okay? What the world and their philosophies, those, the natural man apart from God, what they will preach is that you need to know yourself. You need to look internally and find who you are deep down inside you. Now, the problem is, is that when you look deep down inside you, you realize there's nothing there. You realize how broken you are and how deep you are in need of a God who made you. And so th that's why oftentimes self-reflection without God is a very depressing thing. And so while the world says, look inside, Look to yourself. The Bible says, look to him. Know him. And I believe it is as you get to know and experience the fullness of who God is, that you won't need to look inside of who you are. You'll look to him and he'll tell you who you are because he's the one that created you. He's the one that redeemed you. Does that make sense? Okay, so we need to know that this is a supernatural work. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't know God. Did you guys hear me? Without the Spirit of God, you can't know Him. You could have the Bible, but you take away the Spirit, it's just, it's just knowledge, like facts. But when you add, it is by the Word of God that is fueled by the Spirit of God that, that makes it a difference. You begin to, to see God in a new light. Now, you guys have heard me say that a few times now, see God. Now, I know I hope you know that I'm not talking about a physical sight. I have never seen God. The Bible says that no man has ever seen God. We've seen the man, Jesus Christ, yes, who is God. But God, the Father, the Bible says that no man has ever seen. One day we will see and experience him in a new way. And so we're not talking about physical sight, but spiritual sight. Hebrews 12.2 kind of alludes to this. The writer of Hebrews says that we are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Is that talking about physical sight or spiritual sight? What do you guys think? Spiritual, spiritual sight. Like for me, I, I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't see Jesus. I don't see him yet. 
There's going to be a day I do. But right now, the Bible gives us this tool of faith. And the Bible says that we are not to walk by sight, meaning what we physically see. We are to walk by faith. Faith is our spiritual sight. That though we can't see him, we know him. I mean, think about how wild this is. You and I can begin to love someone we've never seen. That's a miracle. And the only reason that we can do that is because God has revealed himself to us. But Paul is praying that they would see him more, that their eyes would be open. Notice what he says. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. Do you guys remember that, that song, the last song that we sang? It was that throwback song she said, which is, raise your hand, do, do you know that song? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that song. All right, that's awesome. Raise your hand if you've never heard that song until today. Congratulations and Merry Christmas. That is, that is awesome. That was a great song. But open the eyes of my heart. Okay, remember last week I talked about the blood thing, how if, if people came in and we were singing about blood and they never heard about Christianity, they'd be like, what is going on here? Okay, what about that? Open the eyes of my heart? I mean, think about it, you've never heard anything like that before. You're like, oh, what? My eyes have, my heart has eyes? That's amazing. So what, what, is, what is it talking about here? The better translation, this is where that song comes from, I believe, uh, verse 18, it says the eyes of your understanding. Uh, the better phraseology would be the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Uh, enlightened, that, that's the word to be illuminated. It, it's kind of like to have the lights come on. Um, and this is the, the picture that without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, the lights are off. That's why, right, the Bible talks about light and darkness, you guys know that? Light and darkness is a very common theme in Scripture. It's because those who are in darkness, they can't see God. Now, you and I, we can't see God either in a physical sense, but faith enables us to know Him and see Him in a spiritual sense. And His prayer here is that their eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that, they, that the light would get brighter and brighter in the figurative sense where they would, they would begin to see the fullness of who God is. You see, God is so big, we're never going to come to a complete knowledge of God. This is, my, this is my opinion. I think I can back it up through Scripture. Sometimes we ask, what are we going to do in heaven? Like, the Bible says we're going to know everything perfectly. That's not what the Bible says. We're going to know as we, there's going to be a greater knowledge, but not a complete knowledge. The Bible says that God knows everything. Right? It's his omniscience. Have you guys ever heard that before? You and I will never come to a place of omniscience. When we get in heaven, it'll be an opportunity. Sin is taken away, and we will not only see God physically, but throughout eternity, we're going to be able to know him more and more. We're going to be 100 million years into eternity and still not even come close to knowing the fullness of who God is. Can I get an amen? amen. That is awesome. Because God is infinite, we are finite. We don't become infinite and eternal when we get to heaven. We become immortal, meaning we'll never die, but we will begin to know God in a greater light. However, I believe 
that we can start knowing him like that now. That's what the Bible does for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, knowledge is used, right? Like, like th- right now, we're learning knowledge. But that is to fuel us to be able to know God personally. Knowledge should never be our end. Jesus is our end. Can I get one more amen, please? And so, listen, knowing God is the overarching theme of this prayer. But he does go into some more detail. And I want to share with you uh, quickly just uh, these, these three things, okay? So knowing God is the overarching prayer, but he, he does talk about some specific areas of what he wants them to fully grasp, what he wants the eyes of their heart or who they are, the internal person. You know, you have an, you have an outward body, but you have an inner person. You guys know that? Your body is only a part of you. It is not the fullness of who you are. And so Paul here wants to focus on that inner person, and he wants their eyes to be opened to three things, okay? Number one, I want you to note down his calling, his calling. We find this in verse 18. He says that you may know, look at verse 18 in your Bibles, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, hope. The hope is something that is used very uh, very commonly in the Bible, right? Paul would even say in 1 Corinthians 13 that there's faith, hope, and love. Now, the greatest is love because it surpasses hope. You know, one day we're not going to have hope. Kind of sounds weird, right? Because you only hope for what you can't see. But it would be weird to hope for what you do see because you don't have to hope for it anymore. Our hope is the promises of eternal life and salvation uh, with our God. We are not yet there, but it doesn't mean that we have this uncertainty. You see, typically the world looks at hope as a uncertainty. You and I, our hope in Jesus, the hope of his calling is sure and steadfast. Many of you are hoping that your parents are going to take you out to lunch after church. Some of you will have to go home and eat a ham and cheese sandwich for the 10th time this week. That's unfortunate. But you're hoping, hoping that will happen. But it's not certain. Different than when the Bible says hope of his calling, it's not a uncertainty. It's a confident expectation that just hasn't been fulfilled yet. But what God wants us to begin to lean into is the hope of his calling. What is the hope of his calling? It's ultimately the gospel, the call. See, God has called us to himself. The gospel was his idea. The word calling here just means an invitation. We find this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, when it says this, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. He put out the call to you, whether it was through mom and dad, whether it was through an aunt or uncle, whether it's through children's ministry. There's at some point, if you're a Christian here today, you you had a call that he used through someone else. They shared with you the gospel, his call that someone else relayed to you and then called you, right? Jesus went to the disciples and called them to what? Follow him. 
And so throughout the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been using his people to call others into his fold, his family, and somehow, some way, by someone or something, you heard the call and you responded by faith. First Peter 2.9 illustrates this fact as well. Peter is to say this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There's that dark and light that we we're talking about. You see, without Jesus, you're in darkness. You can't see him. But he called you, he invited you to walk away from darkness and into his light. And now for you, it's like, it's like the, the light bulb came on. And it's an amazing moment. Have you ever experienced, other than yourself, someone else getting saved? Oh, it is the coolest, awesome, there's just nothing like it. You can't even describe it. Physically, there's nothing happening. Maybe you've seen someone come to an altar call. But it's even more special. I remember very specifically a time in high school, and it's happened, you know, throughout the years, led people to the Lord. Um, but there was, this, there was this guy in high school. His name was Jimmy. And uh, it was so cool. He was, he, was, he was in bondage to sin and darkness. And I got to be there in the moment. It was, it was I don't know, we were at, at this house. We were in, this, this, at this, uh, in, in the backyard. And we were talking through things and he was struggling. And then he, he made that decision. And I got to pray him through this moment of going from darkness to light where yes, physically nothing changed. He was still Jimmy. He was still the, the same person. He didn't look different. He wasn't glowing. But in heaven, his position eternally changed. The hope of his calling. And as we get to know him more, we are to get to know his call. You get to know the gospel even more. And so we are to know, the prayer is that they may know the hope of his calling. Secondly, you can note down his inheritance. We find this in the last part. That's why if you guys see 18C, okay, it's not a typo. C is the third part of verse 18. We're getting uh, very divided up here. But look at the last part of verse 18. It says, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and in the saints? Now, that is a very compound sentence. You guys look in your Bibles? Riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints. Very compound in nature. Now, what's being said? What's being said, notice it's his inheritance. You see, the Bible talks a lot about our inheritance, meaning what we get when we die. That's what an inheritance is. You guys know that? Yeah. Someone dies. Death is typically the, the thing that enables someone to inherit now, for us, it's kind of weird. It's our death then that enables us to inherit all that God has for us. It was Jesus' death who provided the way. When we die, we enter the fullness of our inheritance. However, this doesn't say our inheritance. It says his. Who do you think the his in verse 18 is, is referencing? Jesus. Yeah, God. It's God's inheritance. What's God's inheritance? It's you and I. It's his inheritance in the saints. You see, what I believe Paul is praying for not only the Ephesians, but now for you and I to know is that we are, God considers us what he gets. And inheritance is what someone gets as a, as a result of death. 
God looks at you and I, the Bible says precious are the, are, are the death of his saints in his sight. The Bible says that God looks when someone dies that's his own, it's precious to him. Why? Because now he gets to be with that person in person. We are God's inheritance. Let me share with you a verse. Deuteronomy 32.9, God said this of Israel, but you and I are now in Jesus, grafted in all the promises of God, or yes and amen, in Jesus. So we are now considered the people of God. Once it was, it was Israel. That was, uh, the design was to spread to the whole world. This is what it says. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, or Israel, is the place of his inheritance. What does God get? I mean, he gets us. Now, we look at us, and we're like, uh, well, he got the bad end of the deal, right? We look at Jesus, who lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. Yeah, for, for us, it's great. But God also looks at it as great. It gives him pleasure, the fact knowing that we are going to be with him forever. R. Kent Hughes puts it like this. He says, think of it. He owns all the all the heavens and numberless worlds, but we are his treasures. The redeemed are worth more than the universe. God created the worlds and the universe all around us. We are the focal point of all that God's created. And so God is stoked that we are his inheritance, which is just a wild thought. And so getting, you know, part of getting to know someone is not just about what you think about them, it's starting to know what they think about you. One day, when you guys are old enough, you guys will start dating, and uh, not the topic of the day. But part of that process is beginning to know what does the other person think about me? She's pretty. I like her. He's good looking. I like him. But what do, what do they think of me? And it's a whole process. You see, part of any kind of relationship with someone is beginning to know and what do, what do they think of me? And you see, God, God's word is full of his thoughts towards you. He's not bummed that he gets you. He's excited. And so we're to know his calling, his inheritance, and third and finally, his power. We find this in the rest of the passage, starting in verse 19. Look at verse 19. He says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his mighty power. I love that sentence because there's so many descriptive words used. There's two descriptive words used to describe one thing. Look in your Bibles, look at verse 19. He says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Why did he need to use two? Right? He uses exceeding, which means surpassing, it goes beyond. And then he uses greatness. He could have just said his great power or his exceeding power. He didn't. He said exceeding greatness of his power because that doesn't even come close to doing the power of God justice. I, I told you about how God is omniscient. The Bible also describes that God is all powerful. There's nothing too hard for him. He created everything in six days, but he only needed one second. He didn't even need one second. He could have done it. He created time. So, I mean, he could do anything he wants. There's nothing too hard for him. His power is, is almost unthinkable for us. But the cool thing about this, this strength, this ability that God has, 
the nature of God is that he shares what he has. It's really interesting in a lot of different ways, but one of the things that he does not keep for himself is his power. Because look at what it says in verse 19. He says that this power is toward those who believe. It is not only for you, but it has been for you. And his power is to keep us. It is to strengthen us. And you might wonder, how, how do I live this life as a Christian? How do I please him? How do I follow him? It is only as you get to know his power. And it's for you. It's toward you who believe. And I think sometimes it's a resource that is not very tapped in for you and I. God's power is available to you. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of, does anyone know? Power and sound mind. Love, power, and sound mind. One of those, that's the same word, power. God wants to strengthen you in your life. And you, just one of the things that goes hand in hand is that as we get to know him, we get to know his power and his power for us. Now, we don't have time to get into all the rest of, of, of the passage, but it does all have to do with his power. If you go and read it, and I encourage you to, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, he, he goes on to talk about the power displayed in the resurrection of Christ, in the ascension of Christ, and in the exaltation in Christ. And so Paul's overarching prayer is that they would know him more, that they know him clearer. Everyone look at me. The most important thing in life is to know him. Do you have other things to do? Yeah, you got to go to school. You got to make your bed. You got you, you to gotta respect and obey your parents. One day you're going to have to get a job because the Bible says he who doesn't work doesn't eat. But those are never the goals. You might have hobbies. You might like to play football or ride horses or whatever. Those are all secondary. Are you guys hearing me? The chief end of your life is to know him. It is not to be able to take a test and mark answers yes or no, but it is to personally encounter and experience the living God who wants to, he knows you, but he wants you to know him. You know, God knows everything about you. Hairs on your head, thought before you think. He is all about you and he wants you to be all about him. Let's pray. Father, we, um, Lord, we don't want to close in prayer because that's what we're supposed to do. God, we want to close in prayer because that's what we have to do. We need you. And we just want to take this moment to confess our need to you. Lord, when we look internally, that could be scary, depressing. But as we look to you, as we look up, we begin to see the hope of your calling. We begin to realize that you consider us your inheritance. We begin to recognize the exceeding greatness of your power. And God, it's overwhelming.
your goodness and faithfulness towards us. And so God, our prayer this morning is that you would open the eyes of our heart. Lord, one day we're going to see you, and we're stoked for that. We're excited. We want to know what you look like. We want to know what you sound like, smell like, what your voice sound, uh, what your voice complexion is like. And one day we're going to hug you face to face. But for now, you've told us that we are not to walk by our physical sight, and so we're going to obey you. We're going to walk by faith. We're going to trust you. But God, we want to see you, not with our physical eyes, though we're excited for that. We want to see you now with the spiritual eyes of faith. So God, we ask that you would open up the eyes of our heart that we might see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.